Nice. Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast Experience with your hosts, David Altizer and Connor McCaskill. Let's go, you mother truckers. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. This is a song that I've used multiple times in the past, but for now, I'm very happy about because it's copyright free and we won't get demonetized, unlike the other yeah. Golden Hour song. Boo. Yes. This is way more fun anyways. Welcome. Maybe this just becomes the the new theme song. Nintendo won't mind. It's quite a vibe, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's fade that out. Um, So how how are you doing, Connor? How's your week? Doing doing pretty good. Uh, Week's been all right. I mean, hey, we met up yesterday and Shot some YouTube content, which was a lot of fun. Getting to shoot with you again. Um, other than that, it's just been yes. kind of normal stuff. Just figuring out YouTube things or getting uh, contract jobs ironed out. Emails, normal stuff. Yeah. Again, for many of you who may or may not know, Connor McCaskill has taken over the older uh, Kinotika channel, which was yep. the channel that he and I both kind of started together and grew over the years that then was handed off to Zach Mayfield and then back to myself over the last year. And I don't have desires to continue that channel, but Connor did. And so I uh, gave him the channel. So I'm really excited to see what he does with it. And he's already basically shot and produced uh, two or three videos, which is awesome. So yeah, I said um, I would make a video every Tuesday uh, and then I made three videos in one week. And then, uh, and then I didn't post anything today, which is Tuesday. So, you know, we're just, hey, hey, we're just kind of winging it. It is what it is. So unfortunately today, um, got some sad news to get the show started. DPReview.com is to close. Dear readers, this was posted today on uh, DP Mm. Review and tweeted out by our friends of the show, uh, Chris and Jordan from DP Review TV. Dear readers, after nearly 25 years of operation, DP Review will be closing in the near future. This difficult decision is part of the annual operating plan to review that our parent company shared earlier this year. The site will remain active until April 10th, and the editorial team is still working on reviews and looking forward to delivering some of our best ever content. Yeah, okay. Your job is ending in a month. Uh, Let's make sure that we write really good uh, articles. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure they're going to do a fine job sunsetting the uh, website. Thank you for your support over the years, and we hope you'll join us in the coming weeks as we celebrate this journey. Sincerely, Scott Everett. Um, What is the time scale? The site will be locked with no further updates made after April 10th, 2023. The site will be available in a read-only mode for a limited period afterwards. Does that mean they're just going to take a nuclear bomb to the entire website with 25 years of content? I can't believe it. I certainly Um, hope not. So, I mean, the comments on this are blowing up. I mean, people are... (laughs) After April 10th, I will never buy at Amazon again, Franz (laughs) Weber says. For those of you who don't know, uh, DP Review was purchased by Amazon... Uh, several years ago. Um, so Amazon is the one that is making this decision. Hmm. Um, I actually didn't know that myself. So that's um, interesting. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, um, Jordan Drake and Chris Nichols, um, mutual friends of ours, we've seen at events and I've mm-hmm. grown close to Jordan uh, over the years in particular, just being a video nerd. And um, yeah, this is sad news, I think, in a lot of ways because. That website has been 
kind of known as one of the top tier websites for photographers and especially their forum. Their forum is extremely active. I don't know if Mm -hmm. any of you guys out there have done just a simple Google search for a certain lens review or a certain comparison to a certain camera. Often a DP review link or a DP review forum link will pop up and then you dive into an old thread that was, you know, documented like, you know, 10 years ago about a certain lens or a comparison or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this doesn't sit well for me. I'm not a huge fan of this news, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of shocked. Honestly, it, it, I wasn't expecting to see that. I was just perusing YouTube today and I, I noticed they made a video. Uh, Jordan and Chris made a video announcing it. Um, whoa, breaking whoa. news. Sorry. Chris what? Nichols and Jordan Drake are coming to Petapixel. Oh. Oh. Ah, I was wondering, I was going to say, I wonder what's going to happen to those guys. I wonder what they're going to do. That makes so much sense. Holy cow. We were just talking about this and we didn't know yeah. the news. And I just went on my homepage and here it is. Like immediately. Wait, when was, th- when was this This was uploaded? posted 38 minutes ago. Oh, snap. Okay. Look, looking to see ongoing shenanigans of Chris and Jordan? You're in the right place. Starting in May, there will be a brand new Petapixel episode created by two of Tarfa YouTube's most beloved creators. Holy oh, cow, wow. subscribe to this Petapixel. Is this, is, uh, this is wild that we are actually capturing this moment uh, in the podcast as they announce this. Chris and uh, Jordan are joining Petapixel, which... Uh, I don't know if it's better than DP review, but Petapixel is definitely like same kind of tier, I guess, in a way like it's kind of, I mean, it's still around, so that's good. (laughs) It's still around. It still exists. Yeah. It's still here. So I'm stoked for him. That's great. Cause I was thinking when I was about to make that point when you discovered this, um, I I was curious what they were going to do if they were going to go on solo or what, cause I imagined that they would still want to stay in the space and. Here you go. They're on Petapixel now. Yeah, crazy. Holy cow. I I was just messaging Chris and yeah, he didn't tell me. <laughs> well, it's been I a great 25 surprise. It's been a great 25 years of DP review, but good things must come to an end. Jordan Drake and I especially enjoyed our 5 years with them hosting DP Review TV. Quite the news day. Sorry to keep everyone in the dark. But we can finally announce that the show is continuing with Petapixel. Please follow us on YouTube at Petapixel so we can keep this show going. <laughs> I love that. Wow. What a day. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, that kind of eases, I think, everybody's uh, stress who yeah. love Jordan and, and Chris. Man, that went from sad news to good news pretty quick, didn't it? I mean, it's still sad yeah. that DP review is going down, but hey, at least Chris and Jordan are going. You guys uh, messing with <laughs> my emotions. <laughs> 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 Sick. Okay, cool. Well, everybody go follow Chris and Jordan at Petapixel. There's the, uh, there's the solution to our beloved uh, Chris and Jordan. Wonderful news. Sad news that DP Review is going away. Um, one of my mm-hmm. favorite resources that DP Review has is the comparison uh, uh, chart. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that, where you can like select which camera you have 
and compare it to another camera and change the ISO levels, change like raw or JPEG shooting. Have you ever seen that? No, I've actually never used that. I, I mostly just use their website for when I'm looking up particular cameras. Uh, yeah, the studio comparison chart. This thing is brilliant. So you select a camera. So let's do, <laughs> we'll just do iPhone 10 versus sure. the um, Canon RP versus the Nikon Z9 versus um, the Sony uh, A6500, right? Perfect. What so, a great comparison. So you can see on the chart, there's this little box and you can drag it around. And as you're dragging it around, the image is updating to whatever camera you selected. And it's Check based it on ISO level. So I can go to 800 ISO and compare that to all these other cameras. I can even change it to raw from JPEG to raw and see what the raw compression looks like straight out of the camera. And mm. it just updates so beautifully. And you can really see, you know, how the noise performance is in certain cameras at certain ISO levels. And this tool is so valuable. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they, every time a new camera comes out, you can just select it in here. And, you know, R6 Mark II, there's the R6 Mark II. They've got that in there. Yeah. Every new camera that comes out, you can you can look at the skin tones. You can look at the sharpness chart. You can see where the moray is in the image. I mean, this is a very valuable tool. So, I don't know. I guess there's a hole in the market for somebody to build something like that in the future. So I would just buy that one from them that already works. Yeah, who knows? If they're going out of business, I mean. I was yeah. thinking that uh, Chris and, and Jordan would go solo, um, but it looks like Petapixel maybe matched or paid them more. <laughs> matched yeah. their salary or paid them more. So more power to them. And uh, Petapixel still exists. So you know, there's that. Hey, at least there's a happy ending. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I can't believe we captured that live. Wonderful. Congratulations, Chris and Jordan. And uh, we will see you guys on the Petapixel YouTube channel. On the topic of YouTube channels, I wanted to give a um, kind of a, a quick status of YouTube for podcasting. Um mm. to, Before we get into some follow-up. How topical as we are on a podcast. Yeah, so I experimented with Spotify video last week. Um, so the last video we did is on YouTube and Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, and Connor, I'm sort of hashing this out with you live. Okay, all right, yeah, all right, I'm listening. I I think I told you this before, but I'm now even more so because of what YouTube is doing. I want to keep anything other than YouTube just audio only that includes Spotify because there's really no reason to do Spotify video other than it's just there. Um, I mean, (laughs) it is kind of nice as a Spotify user, the few that we are apparently, (laughs) um, you know, for example, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, I do mostly just listen to it as audio. But occasionally, uh, for instance, he was interviewing a beekeeper and I was listening to it and something came up where she brought in a bee, a beehive in the studio. And I was like, that's visually interesting. I think I don't want to just hear it. I want to see it. I can pull it up and there's the video. That's kind of nice. Um, I, I hear you. 
on that. Yeah. And I, I think there's value in video. I'm not, I'm not saying we're not going to do video. Right. I'm just saying, unless Spotify wants to write a check for a hundred million dollars, I don't <laughs> see a reason for us from a, from a business standpoint to, I think they want to see a few million viewers first, but yes. Yeah. I, Whereas on YouTube, you have the ability to use all these features that I'm about to share with YouTube podcasts, plus the distribution that YouTube provides. And if it's the exclusive place to watch the video, then we're not splitting our potential viewers. So my argument Mm. to what you're saying is, if you enjoy the video portion of this show, um, you're watching this on YouTube. That's the only place to watch it. And if you listen to it on Spotify, which up until last week, that was the only option to do anyways, Mm -hmm. um, then most of the time, you know, a lot of people listen to audio on whatever app they want. And the majority of our listeners who are listening to this right now uh, use the Apple podcast app. So that doesn't even matter, I guess, uh, (laughs) that much. But YouTube podcast is now a thing. So this week they announced... um, YouTube podcasts. And basically YouTube is now formatting their, uh, podcasts. Like you can select a video that you upload and, and specify that it is a podcast and YouTube is going to be working really hard apparently to basically start implementing video podcasts and, and categorizing it as a podcast in the same way that shorts is categorized as something different than a long form video. Mm-hmm. The good news f- for this is, and Tyler Stallman and I were actually texting about this is that like for someone like Tyler Stallman, his podcast is called the Tyler Stallman podcast and his audience of people on his main channel of, you know, I think he has like 300,000 subs or something like they would probably find value in his podcast. But in the past having a podcast mixed in with your normal content just diluted your content because it's just a different type of video altogether and people who subscribe for your say iphone review aren't going to listen to an hour-long podcast necessarily uh and, and the other and vice versa right um but now with the categorization that youtube is doing with shorts we've been able to see how youtube can essentially treat different types of videos completely differently separate from each other. And you, then there's no punishment for it on your main videos uh, per se. So right. this new feature, the ability to select your podcast video on YouTube and categorize it as a podcast, have album artwork, have it in a, essentially a podcast playlist is what they're calling it. It's now sectioned off as something completely separate outside of so, your main videos. So is it going to be, is it going to be a p- playlist or is it going to like, if you're on someone's YouTube page, i.e. Mm-hmm. the golden hour podcast, um, how would that visually appear? Is it going to be like a little tab that says podcasts essentially? I think that is the goal at a certain point. Like right now, everything looks kind of the same on our particular show. Um, and then it, the golden hour podcast, which is what I've done here uh, is it just shows up as a podcast. If you're mm-hmm. watching the video right now, you can see it's there's nothing special about it. But there will be a little badge next to it that will call it a podcast. And if you go to youtube.com slash podcasts, there's a whole like page and a whole section here 
of podcasts. And they're even putting Philip DeFranco in that category. But back to what I was saying earlier about um, Tyler Stallman, like now he could essentially upload his podcast on his main channel and just put that in a podcast playlist moving forward. Mm. It won't, it won't like damage his main videos. Um, So what that means for us, because I'm doing my own thing, you're doing your own thing. And golden hour is a collab between the two of us. It doesn't make sense for one of us to necessarily put it on one of our channels and do, do it that way. I think it still makes sense for us to have the, the GH pod uh, channel. But what this does mean is for people like us who have this whole channel is only a podcast channel. We don't need to have a clips channel anymore. So I was about to start doing clips on the golden hour podcast, mm-hmm. but now because full length, you know, hour long shows are categorized as a podcast and treated as such. That means that we can also upload shorts and normal videos, normal videos being clips to the main channel, and it all will work in a full synergy altogether now, which is Mm. awesome. That was always kind of what made the most sense to me is like so many creators split off a separate channel and called it like golden hour podcast clips or, you know, the the Joe Rogan experience clips. Like, I think he still has that active somehow. I think. Uh, yeah, I think when he did the Spotify merger, he was able to keep the GRE clips channel. Although I don't know which one is him, to be honest. Is it the powerful GRE? I think, I think, I think maybe it does. He, is it not both? I think, I think powerful GRE is him at Joe Rogan. I think this is actually him. Yeah. And then let's see, is the other one GRE clips? I mean, it's got a verified logo, so I guess they're both him. Yeah, the, he hasn't posted on this one in two years. So okay. okay, so what happened was he went to Spotify and he just turned his main channel into a clips channel, which is essentially an ad for the Spotify show. You know, right? So, so I guess it doesn't breach whatever contract he signed. Yeah. Um, he, no, this is this is really cool. I think that when YouTube introduces these new features, it's always good to jump on the train, so to speak, because yeah, typically YouTube with new features they like to promote it. So potentially, who knows, maybe if we start designating all of these as podcasts, then they may start taking off. And they're going to actually be inside of their podcast platform, which like, I think they're going to be pushing YouTube music a little bit more. They're just trying to compete with with Spotify, honestly, (laughs) like Spotify has their whole thing in the uh, video creator tab or the studio in the YouTube studio uh, page, which I'm Mm -hmm. on right now for our podcast there's now a tab called podcasts. So I go there and you can see the golden hour podcast. And so I've got my description, a weekly show for camera nerds, coffee lovers and content creators. Mm-hmm. And then I've got my podcast thumbnail, um, the artwork. badge. And yeah. yeah, I've just got all the videos from when we rebranded in here. Perfect. So moving forward. Anything, you know, with you and me in it is going to be in here. Um, I have a whole, I guess like two years worth of content, without you involved that I can maybe put in a separate playlist. Sure. But I just kept yeah. it with this one here. But anyways, um, I just think they would just be, uh, you could just call it golden hour BC before Connor. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff from YouTube. I think they're, you know, trying their best to compete in this space. I think um, channels like, you know, H3 podcast and flagrant and impulsive, those types of shows are huge. I mean, they're getting millions and millions of views and they're 
two hour long conversations in full podcast mm-hmm. format. And it's totally a format on YouTube. And we do have people who watch our videos on YouTube as well. So I think I said it once before, but I'll say it again. I feel strongly that audio will still remain audio on all other platforms on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And mm-hmm. then on YouTube, that is where all of the video content will be viewed moving forward. Um, especially now with all this stuff, YouTube is just incentivizing us as creators and hopefully as the monetization grows and as things change, maybe even some monetization options will be available to podcasters separate from standard ad revenue. So we'll see. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, yeah, you make a fair point. I obviously still like video in Spotify, but yeah, if we consolidate it all to one place, that makes sense. Yeah. So if you want to watch the video moving forward, youtube.com slash GH pod. All right, so we've got follow-up this week. Mm-hmm. Some uh, things that we talked about in the last few episodes. This one in particular is a little surprising to me. The Benro Theta. Do you remember that? What was that, Connor? Tell us what that oh, was. Oh, boy. This sucker here, this this auto-leveling photography tripod that looks a lot like the Peak Design tripod that we made fun of in the last episode. Or was it the last episode? It doesn't matter. It two episodes we made, ago. We made yeah. fun of it. We're like, this is stupid. Uh, this doesn't make any sense. And uh, turns out, uh, we may well, we may still be right, but people don't <laughs> agree with us. Uh, so it raised, is this Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. Kickstarter. It raised over a million dollars uh, on Kickstarter. So people are still doped for this for some reason uh it doesn't really make sense to me dave does it make sense to you no i think i don't know if people understand really what this actually is doing because like like i said if if it was a ball head that leveled i I think it'd make more sense to me but it's just the legs that level which just seems strange because then it's like how does that help you if like if your camera is still not level, you're still having to use a bubble to level your camera. But then mm-hmm. the tripod itself, just like just the tripod levels itself, like that's I don't know. I guess there's yeah, a lot of people who are photographers who this is a, a kind of a headache for them. I don't know. Maybe it is. Yes, but you're 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 right though. Like, it, sure, it levels the legs, but as you said, you still have to level the ball head after the legs level. So it's kind of a it, it doesn't make any sense and then also i don't know that i would take the fact that it levels itself over i'm assuming it's going to weigh significantly more because it's got a host of battery and the mechanics that make it work at all so it's just going to be heavier than any other tripod of the same size yeah i don't know um i mean it is lightweight actually i mean the the tripod is 2.7 pounds, uh, the okay. smaller one. And then there's a bigger one that's 3.6 pounds. Hmm. So interesting, you know, but I don't know. I think they're obviously onto something because the truth is, is tripods are extremely useful and we all use them. But every time we whip out the legs and, you know, just like literally just use the tripod, it is often a bit of a headache i mean it's not the end of the world i mean it's just one two three take the legs out you know loosen the ball head look at the bubble what's, level what's it, this that it's it. saying right now in your screen it said roll locking mode is that like something that makes what we're talking about better like it auto levels itself and then it does the auto locking mode which then would mean you're perfectly level with roll lock no i think that's just like the side to side like left to right you know panning 
lock. Mm, okay. Basically. So it's just a normal ball head. Yeah. Um, so it's obviously made for photographers and I guess photographers out there, you know, set their camera up on weird, you know, settings and they need to level it. I don't, <laughs> but Hey, way to go. Benro for, um, good job guys. For doing yeah. this. They had a $50,000 goal and it is officially succeeded at, yeah, they, uh, they, oh. they overshot it a little bit. Um, I'm being honest by yeah. about 1.3 mil, but you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way to go guys. Um, very interesting. Maybe we'll have to get one for a review and see if it's actually worth it. <laughs> yeah. We'll use it for the podcast. I'll set up my, uh, my tripod and it'll level itself, which yeah. would be super handy. Um, and then another follow-up is actually a leaked photo apparently of the rumored Sony ZV E1. Mm-hmm. An image that is very blurry and it looks kind of warped and like strange. Um, but uh, it does look very similar to this is an image of the ZV E10. It looks very similar to that um, with a, the only difference being the on off switch is near the shutter there. It's got a very kind of, as we expected, cheap plasticky build to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the big red record button. It's got that big bokeh button that both the ZV-1 and the ZV-E10 have. So again, if the rumors are true, this is a camera that will probably look very similar to the ZV-E10. I mean, obviously, as we're looking at this leaked image, but it will share the same sensor as the FX3 and the Sony A7S 3 So yeah, it looks like it has a uh, dedicated switch for going between photo and video mode and uh, SNQ as well. That's nice. I like that. That's a nice little bonus toggle switch. Yeah. If it's true, if that's real. Yeah. I mean, it looks pretty real to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look fake. It's got a little zoom rocker built into it as well, um, which some of the other cameras have. So maybe it'll be sold with a kit lens that has a, a power zoom uh, Sony has made a couple of those power zooms. There was a 16 to 35 F4 that yeah. I know came out recently that was like a power zoom. So they're pretty cool. I I I dig the power zoom lenses. And do you think they're going to keep uh, IBIS in this, or will they remove it to keep the price down and the mechanics? I think better? I think it's going to have it. Okay, that's um, I sense it's for the vloggy types is what I'm guessing. Yeah. I think they're going to want that. So I think it'll have it in it. Or at least, um, at least, you know, if they don't have that, then they got to have at least the, uh, what's it called? The, the stabilization in post production, the uh, catalyst browse features. So you could stabilize it using the algorithms and the, you know, all that Mm -hmm. sensing data that it has. So, I mean, that's nice and all, but that would annoy me. that, (laughs) That would be, that would be enough reason to not buy it. If yeah. it was like, you can use our post-processing website and be like, yeah, no, I'm going to get something else. So let's let's uh, place our bets then. Um, I'm betting that it's this This is a true leaked image and that it will look like this. It'll resemble the ZV-E10. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there will be a mechanical shutter. So there's no, no flap or curtain that goes up and down. It's mm-hmm. going to be an electronic shutter, shutter, and I think they will get rid of the IBIS. So that's my hmm. bet. No IBIS. I think that 
it won't have a mechanical shutter. I think that's correct. But I do think it will have IBIS um, just because of who they're potentially, in my opinion, going to be marketing it towards. And it might um, not be cheap either. It might not be that cheap. I, that's why I'm starting. I'm, I, I said in the last episode, and I, uh, I, 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 in my YouTube video, I ended up going with your theory on the price point. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it still, I think I'd agree with my previous self in the last episode where I said it's going to be more money than the a seven four. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know why it, that's just, that's just where I stand. Cause I, I think it will still have IBIS, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. We shall see soon enough. Interesting camera news again. Uh, very interesting. Sony manager interview. A mount was a failure from Sony. They were close to joining micro four thirds and the E mount original idea was to make super compact cameras, which I've always wondered why Sony's E mount is so teeny tiny, especially yeah. when they've got these massive full frame sensors. Um, and when you look at the comparisons or when you look at the competition, when you look at an E mount compared to, say, the RF mount, the Z mount from Nikon, the mm-hmm. Leica mount, all of those mounts are huge compared to Sony. Like, right. it's big. Um, and so, this interview with uh, Mr. Shigel Ishizuka, vice chairman of the Sony group talks about kind of the history here of the original a mount system, which was a, their first uh, camera system on SLR. It wasn't mirrorless. It was an actual mirrored camera. I was um, going to say, I honestly like just being frank here. I, I don't think I've heard a, the, the phrase a mount, uh, lenses from Sony. I've only ever heard Sony E-mount. So this was the predecessor to the E-mount with Correct. their SLRs is what you're putting down. Okay. Yeah. Um, Got it. I, di- I don't think I knew that. Yeah. And I think there were some uh, A-mounted mirrorless as well. But yeah, the A-mount system, Correct. which you can see in the video here, was uh, it was actually a DSLR. It's like their EF. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the A-mount system was a failure from a business point of view. And in 2008, they can seriously considered to join the Micro Four Thirds system, which Olympus and Panasonic uh, were involved with. And the Micro Four Thirds system is unique to any of the other camera systems. It's an open sourced uh, mm-hmm. platform. So technically, Canon, Nikon, Leica, you know, whoever could be involved in micro four thirds if they really wanted to without having to pay a license or pay like a copyright or anything. It was just, mm-hmm. it was designed in partnership, I believe with Panasonic and Olympus, but they made it an open system from what I understand because they wanted to basically encourage people to make lenses for it so that the ecosystem would be built out because it was a right. completely new ecosystem. So yeah, their idea with that was like, okay, if Canon joins our ecosystem and they make a bunch of lenses, then those lenses that makes their lens lineup for Panasonic even better, exactly. kinda, because you could just natively slap on a Canon lens on Panasonic. But then I guess it didn't work out. Yeah, the, the um, so the E mount system original idea was to create a super compact system. There was no plan to create a full lineup of lenses, and also there was no idea to even go full frame. So, um, you know, when you look at, again, this picture on this thumbnail here, you can see the E-mount does fit around an APS-C mount pretty well. Yeah. But 
as we've seen with full frame, I mean, here's a, there's an image here at the top. The sensor is literally bigger than the mount. Like you can see corners of the sensor being covered by the mount. They have to put that thing so close to the mount. And that's why Sony's uh, stabilization has struggled in the past is they're just not able to move that sensor around very much because their, <laughs> their uh, camera mount is so small. And if you look here, the actual the RF, mount would just get in the way. If you look at my webcam here, this is the RF mount. And we're going to talk about this camera, obviously, the Canon EOS R50. Um, but look at how freaking massive Canon made the RF mount. Uh, this is an APS-C sensor. And you can just see how much extra room it has. It's absurd when you look at an APS-C sensor on here. But even with a full frame, there's a lot of room to go on the RF mount. So that's why when you look at all of the other competitors, they've decided to make larger mounts obviously to accommodate larger sensors to give better room for uh ibis but sony was just ahead of the curve and they were doing this back in like 2008 so um Mm -hmm. do you you think this is gonna bite sony in the tail because like right now that's helping them a ton because that just means any e-mount lens ever can be just slapped Mm -hmm. onto any sony camera and it works great and that's wonderful. That's awesome right now. But, uh, you know, Canon with the RF or Nikon with their Z-mount, that just significantly reduced the native lenses that could be put on there because they haven't made the lenses yet, obviously, or they're working on making the lenses. Yeah. Um, but down the line, is that going to be a problem for Sony? Is Sony going to, you know, two years from now, end up having to make a larger mount anyways, and now they're behind everybody else? What do you think? That's a... That's a really good question. I I think you you might be onto something because you know we're looking at Canon doing potentially a twenty four to one hundred five f two eight is lens. I don't know if those types of options are available to Sony. I don't know. Maybe it's just Canon has better you know engineering and they're able to come up with these things. But I do think that these companies like Canon and Nikon, because they were so late to the game, they were able to take notes from Sony and look at kind of the future and say, having this larger mount is, uh, will allow us to, they say, have basically balance the lens better is what I remember Nikon told me Nikon, mm-hmm. uh, a Nikon rep told me the Z mount is massive because they're able to actually push a lot of the weight of the lens further back so that it's better balanced in the hand. Um, I don't necessarily feel that with canon but um that's something that nikon said um so those types of like engineering things i I wonder if that's an issue for sony i know for me when i pick up a sony often the lenses especially some of those bigger g masters like the 24 to 70 often still just feel a little top heavy front heavy um so maybe i was gonna say they also have they also have tiny teeny little primes too that nobody else had so um, but I think there might be some limitations with IBIS in the future. And especially if they ever want to go to like a medium format that I, I think that's completely out of question, but that's mm-hmm. maybe not something that they're interested in at the moment. No, probably not. But I do like, so for instance, I just pulled up an image of the, um, 24 to 70 G master lens from Sony. And if you look at their lens, just, just looking at how it's made and how it looks, uh, it, it has to taper like a cone 
down to the size of an e-mount lens. You can tell the size that the lens wants to be, and then they clearly have to taper it down to fit that smaller mount. Whereas if you look at Canon's 24 to 70 um, L, uh, L lens, it doesn't taper. It just is like a full-on like cylinder, like a soda can almost. Well, maybe not a soda can, but it's just it is the size that it is. Yeah. Um, or it does taper a little bit, but just not near to the extent. So I wonder if um, it's almost it's almost like with Sony lenses, it's almost as if there's an adapter in front of the lens, you know, to adapt. Yeah. Any little mount that it has. It's almost exactly. It is almost as if there's an adapter built into every lens because clearly the lens wants to be wider. Whereas when you look at the Canon, though, it does have a nice taper that may be a bit of a. aesthetic too but i mean yeah i mean there is a there is a taper here there is a taper it just doesn't feel like um it just doesn't feel as extreme as the sony but maybe i'm maybe i'm being too critical but it literally isn't as bad as the sony because the sony mount is smaller what's funny about canon is the rfs mount is like it's the opposite of like these tiny little problem they're, they're tapering out to a large uh mount you know, which I think is kind of hilarious. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the uh, RFS, like anything for, for, for example, the R50, um, the lenses look stupid. Um, no offense, <laughs> Canon. They just look dumb. They don't look premium. They could be premium, but they just don't look premium. They look so much cheaper. And I think it's because of the large amount. And it's kind of ironic. Although if you put a, like, my, for example, my 24 to 105 on the R50, uh, mm-hmm. It looks like a nice meaty camera, even though it's not. It's tiny. So for our main topic, Connor, what are we yes. here to talk about? We are here to talk about the lovely, the new, the amazing, um, or at least better than the M50, the R50, the Canon EOS R50. Uh, we both ended up snagging one. Uh, you got it there with the kit lens. Um, I ended up not getting the kit lens. Um, so I'm glad you got it because I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> it helped. It helped when you let me borrow it. Uh, I just bought the camera ASAP. As soon as you show, uh, you're like, "Hey, it's out." You don't have Twitter, you dummy. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't have Twitter." Um, and you don't need it. Yeah, because I keep you in the loop. <laughs> yeah, you just keep me in the loop. I, you are Twitter for me. So that's really that's really handy. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I just went on Amazon and purchased it pretty much immediately uh, because uh, this camera is kind of cool. It's kind of a, a big deal camera for us because. Uh, we've talked about it before, but the Canon M50 was probably one of our larger, it was the largest breakout camera for us in the YouTube days when we were both doing the YouTube stuff. And um, this is the sequel. And so it'd be cool. It's, it was cool to get our hands on it, to play around with it yeah. um, and uh, compare it. At least yesterday we compared it to the M50 and I'm working on that video right now. Yeah. So Everything you said is true. The um, the Canon M50 was such a smash hit for our channel. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because that camera is like amazing or anything. It's just, I think it just had all the right, it had all the right things that were needed at the time as YouTube continued to blow up more and more and more and more people wanted to start creating on YouTube. It was mm-hmm. kind of during the Casey Neistat era and the m50 was more than half the price of the add or similar cameras at the time that you know like the 1dx mark ii or mark iii that uh 
And the, the 1DX Mark II that Peter McKinnon used. Yeah, that camera was ridiculous for vlogging with. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But yeah, a lot of YouTubers who were up and coming were picking up the M50. And I'm sure you remember, Connor, we went to CES, I think that year mm-hmm. after the M50 went out, came out and... I had people that like actually came up to me and said, Oh, Dave, Kinotika M50. I bought, I bought my M50 because of you or whatever. Yeah. Uh, at VidCon, I had a couple of people come up to me and say the same thing. And we actually had a discussion with a Canon representative at CES that year, the year, you know, six months after our M50 drop, which was in August. And mm-hmm. we were still shocked that the videos, we made like four videos back to back to back in that August of that year, I guess it was 2018. And um, six, seven months later, the Canon representative was like, yeah, we are shocked, but the M50 is still being sold like gangbusters on Amazon. And it's completely like our number one by far seller. You know, like I remember he was telling us like, we are shocked at how many of these units that we're selling. And well, it must have just been because of how affordable it was. Like you said, it was half it was. the price of the ADD or whatever else. So it's like, eh, what was it, 650? Yeah, I think a similar price to what it is now, which is what, 670 or something? Yeah, 670. Um, yeah, it was so affordable. It was almost like, why, why not? And even though it had limitations with 4K footage specifically, most people who were purchasing this camera probably were only messing with 1080p anyways. So for them, it totally made sense because there wasn't as many limitations in 1080p with the M50. And it was a Canon camera. It's easy to use. It was made for beginners and it looked pretty decent. Yeah. And, you know, video aside too, it had, um, you know, uh, an EVF, a flip screen, and the photos were raw photos that you could take. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have the ability to have full manual control. So basically, we've even to this day, like up until the R50's announcement, there's still people buying the M50. And right now, oh, yeah. there's like no reason for people to buy them. In fact, there's a lot of videos online saying, you know, 2021, should you still buy the M50? No, like buy the PVE 10. And I think basically Sony saw the success of the M50 and made their own version of it mm-hmm. was the Sony ZV-E10, which we were kind of talking about earlier in the show. Um, and that kind of became the new like king of beginner YouTubers and people who just need something pocketable and easy to use. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that also has some limitations. There's no EVF on that camera. It's really cheap, plasticky body. Um and it's an old sensor, a very old sensor that's still using the same like A6300 sensor that they've used for all their crop cameras for over the mm-hmm. years. Well, enter the new R50. Um, and now Canon has essentially fixed, in my opinion, everything about the M50 that I despised, but left all the things that make it essentially an M50. It's yeah. che- It's super cheap. This really is an upgrade if you're just wanting a camera to take pictures of your kids, a camera to film home documentation. It's so small. This is the more premium uh, kit lens. There's two kit lenses. There's the really tiny, I think it's a 15 to 45 or something like that. Uh, And that one is pretty low quality. And then this one is the 18 to 150, 
which uh, on the wide end, it's an F 3.5 to an F 6.3. It's a weird aperture range, but it is what it is. Yeah. But this, this little kit lens is great. I mean, this one lens can do it all. You can take a reasonably wide shot and you can take a very uh, zoomed in telephoto shot. So, you know, this thing is very easy to hold and very easy to carry around. If I had a little uh, strap on it, this would be easy to put around my neck and take to the zoo to take on vacation, which is exactly what I think this camera will be used for. I was going to say vacation spots. Beware. These are, you're going to see a lot of these floating around like Hawaii or something like that. Um, Just because everyone's going to be, I think this one will be very popular just like the M50. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Um, I know there's more competition, especially from Sony uh, than when the M50 originally came out, but the M50 was so popular. There's so many people using the M50 who are probably now five years later looking to get something else. And if they're not directly upgrading, they may just want to find something of a similar price tag. And I mean, it is a direct upgrade because of everything that it is able to do. Obviously, I'm thinking a lot more on the video side. Uh, photo, Photo-wise, it's pretty much the same. Um, mm-hmm. You do have the AI autofocus and how it's faster and it can detect more things. Um, and that's exciting. That's great. Uh, but more on the video side, just with the unlocking of 4K and it's not cropped on a crop sensor. So it was like uber cropped back in the day with the M50 and then getting phase detect autofocus and um do a pixel autofocus and yeah it's 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 a nice little camera i like it there's there's almost no reason not to get it unless you want log yeah um i mean that's that's the thing is it's it shares a similar sensor to in fact i think it is the same sensor as the r10 which is the more expensive version of this Mm -hmm. um and which I also believe is in the R7. So we know what that's capable of with the R7. It's got IBIS, it's got Canon log, continuous recording, all that type of stuff. But this this doesn't have Canon log, which is Canon's traditional little limitation that they do. It's completely false. They're, they're doing it to protect their lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sony, unlike Canon, will actually even put in the ZV-E10, they put S-Log in it, even though you know there's no like in bit like, recording yeah it, it, i don't know why canon t- continues to do this stuff put log I mean, in it i, 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 I wouldn't I, hurt it i know why they're doing it but i hate it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um we had the m50 my dad has one and so he let us borrow it and um when you hold the two side by side and by the way if you're listening to this maybe by now connor's video will actually be live on his channel so check out connor mccaskill's channel he will be posting a side-by-side comparison with the original m50 mm-hmm. I find, featuring featuring david altizer <laughs> that's right yeah i find that the body is more comfortable to hold it feels more premium and i would say as a you know i've used the zv1 and the zve 10 quite a bit this is certainly very plasticky it's nowhere it's definitely not a weather sealed camera but I think this is a more premium built. It's got the nice kind of leatherette uh, yeah. coating around the sides. I mean, the grip is significantly deeper as well. And it is slightly larger, Yeah, I believe, just in general, because it had to accommodate the RF mount, which is massive compared to the sensor. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean you already pointed out, but it is, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, 
they've, obviously by making it a little bit larger, it just immediately made it more comfortable to hold. Cause honestly the M50 felt like it was the size of a camera for a child, Yeah, which maybe that's who it was for. Maybe it was for children getting their first camera and starting a YouTube channel and all that great stuff. But yeah, yeah the, the R50 seems to be like a nice uh, middle ground. So yeah, overall the build is great. It uses um, the older batteries as well, but I think they've since updated it. So now we're on the um, LPE 17. Uh, the M50 was LPE 12, I believe. So they've done mm-hmm. multiple iterations on it. You can now charge it via USB-C, which again is a welcome addition. Uh, the older camera had the awful USB micro, which I'm so yeah. glad is has completely gone away. Whereas the ZVE 10 still has the micro port on it but so we've got a a proper USB-C port so on the inside we have a 24.2 megapixel APS-C sensor which means when we're recording in 4k even though we're not getting analog and even though we're not really getting a traditional 10-bit option for video it is a downsampled 6k to 4k down res and it's got that same digic x image processor in it which is like the same one that they're using on the top of the line r3 so you know, a $3,000 mirrorless camera like the R3 that has, you know, best in class autofocus and eye tracking. It translates all the way down to the 600, translates all the way down to the $679 camera, which Canon, is Canon R3 is a bit more expensive than three grand, but yes. Is that true? Was it it's 35? Six, six grand. Holy cow. Yeah, $5,999. I I just did a quick check when you said three grand. I was like, "Mm, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, you're right. So that camera and this camera have a similar autofocus system. Um, The R50 has the AI detection in terms of, you know, cat focus or vehicles or human tracking and and stuff. Birds. So all the bird bird photographers are going to be really stoked. (laughs) It's got a vertical vertical movie mode. And I noticed as I was using this camera for photos as well, when I go to a vertical shooting mode, all of the UI rotates mm-hmm. with the the EVF, which I don't know why more cameras do this. I, I know a lot of them have accelerometers built into it. It would be a simple software thing, I feel like, to add that. So just a really nice to have feature, like as you move your camera back and forth, everything translates and, and it's able to like move the whole UI Mm-hmm. the vertical mode but if you're actually shooting video vertically then when you import your footage into premiere or final cut or whatever it's iMovie <laughs> is what this will be imported into yeah. it will be imported in as a full vertical video without you having to rotate at 90 degrees so um it's got the multi-function shoe as well which is nuts that they fit that in there yeah so that I technically just, means you could plug in the xlr adapter from tascam and have full xlr uh, audio input i believe <laughs> it's just like it's just a pretty well thought out camera and it doesn't feel like for the first time in canon history that it's been um hindered on yeah. purpose right is there anything about this camera that you're like man that they they really messed that up because they didn't include this it's because of the price at other than Six, log, I, I, wish, 70. I wish they gave us even just old fashioned Canon log, like original, not even C log three. I don't care. Just something yeah. would be nice to have. But I guess that is a fair enough point. But even still at 670, it's like, uh, so what? It doesn't have log. You know, like the person who's buying this camera probably doesn't care. I, I might be projecting yeah. here, but probably doesn't care about a log image. 
Um, I mean, shoot, when you're in the menus and you're cycling through things, like if you are pressing, you know, the, the, it just, it displays like with a picture and then also text what each setting is going to do, Yeah, which, because it's made for people who don't know anything yet, which is great. (laughs) I mean, there needs to be a camera like that. Um, this is a camera that's designed to get you interested, Mm -hmm. to get you started, and then hopefully, you know, in Canon's eyes to get you hooked on the Canon system so that you buy an R10 or an R8 or uh, R6 Mark II or whatever for your next yeah. camera. And that's the cool thing about it is because it's now sharing the same mount as their top of the line cameras, the RFS mount, which is mm-hmm. designed for a crop sensor. Um, it's still the same mount. It's just this is a crop lens on a crop sensor. So if you do want to upgrade your lenses, you technically could put a full frame RF lens on here. In fact, that's what Connor did. He used his 2405 mm-hmm. RF on here. Works great. Um, but you know, as you grow, uh, you can start to buy more lenses and then buy a new body and change it out. But I'm going to just talk about this from my perspective as, you know, I'm not a beginner. I'm not somebody that, um, doesn't know how to use a camera, right. yet I still find I really like this um, because there's some needs that I have as like a daily carry type user that, that this serves. First off it's, I mean, it's super small. So taking this out, you know, as a, as a dad, you know, this is the perfect dad cam. Honestly, Um, I was taking pictures of my kids with this. The autofocus is super snappy, super quick. And, you know, like it, I know people are going to argue this all day long about color science, but I just find the the colors on this to be more pleasing than Sony. I, I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but the skin tones <laughs> just look better to me and it just has a more pleasing image. And I mean, if you're specifically talking about non-log images, then 100%, I think I agree with you. Like if you just compared the two standard modes from a Sony camera to a Canon camera, uh, at this, at, well, at this price point or any, because I guess this color science is mostly the same. Um, yeah, Canon looks better. It just does. And there's also something to be said too about the ease of use with a Canon camera that you just don't simply get with with a Sony camera. Um, there's the menus are just laid out better, um, and then this camera in particular does have kind of like the dummy mode, uh, <laughs> is what I'll call it. But it's, yeah, like you, like Connor was saying, it's just laid out very simply. So if somebody now, if somebody asks me, Hey, Dave, I'm starting a YouTube channel, you know, and this person I know is not a professional videographer. This is my number one pick. This is, I think the best camera to get started because it's at a price point that isn't mind blowing to somebody who's starting out. Mm-hmm. The F5 Mark II, I think still is one of the best kind of like hybrid cinematographer cameras slash full frame photography cameras out there. And for the price point, it there's nothing like it, but $2,000 is like, even that is just, you know, unheard of. It's, rid- it's, rid- of it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like if I, you know, talking to my mother, right. And I'm like, you're going to want to buy this camera. It's $2,000. She'd say, <laughs> not a chance. I tell her buy this camera at $700 and she's still kind of like, maybe not yeah because you know? exactly. my iphone does it but at 700 dollars, it is a much more palatable price to purchase something 
Yeah, and to compare with the Sony, the Sony ZV-E10 is coming in at $698, so it's 700 bucks. That's but, definitely priced competitively. Good job, Canon. So in my f- opinion, the $679 R50 is it's a better buy cuz you're getting an EVF. You still you have that hot shoe so you can add some of those things to it. Mm-hmm. You get the better color, um you have the ability to use the the amazing RF lenses in the future as they, you know, probably hopefully have more RFS lenses um to come. Uh, and it's a more modern sensor with better autofocus than the ZV-E10. Right. Um, but obviously, you know, the R50 doesn't have IBIS. Um, it's a crop sensor, so it's not a full frame. And we're limited to 4K at 30 frames per second. But there's no limitations with the 4K mode, unlike the original M50. The only limitation being that we don't get a log or a proper 10-bit recording mode. Uh, and I think the recording limit is limited to one hour. And I don't think it has anything to do with Canon being stingy. I think it is them being a little um, conservative with the overheating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, small. an hour straight recording with the R50, I mean, that's pretty good. I don't know who's going to be recording longer than that with it, probably. You yeah. Know? I mean, I was hoping that we could maybe use these as like side angle cameras for YouTube stuff. But if we're just going to be doing the, this podcast uh via uh zencaster moving forward i mean we could just use these as our webcams or whatever or yeah that's true i mean or you're using your r6 and it looks way better so i could also use my r6 but hey i mean the (laughs) concept of having i mean this is a good point honestly like for someone like us having an r50 which is cheap that we can have set up with a lens on top of your monitor it just sits there right it just sits there and never moves and it's just a podcast camera like some that i'm using right now and i don't have to set up my r6 every time yeah maybe worth it i mean is it worth it to me right now no but (laughs) could it be worth it to me later yeah probably yeah and i think for someone like me like i was saying too like you know i've got a c70 you've got an r6 i mean obviously this is nowhere near uh the the quality of that but um it can cut it can cut well with it and this is such a teeny tiny little camera that you can kind of get creative with it and put it in uh, interesting places. You can mount it on top of your camera and use it as a, like a wide angle shot. Um, I saw a gimbal by Zion crane that actually uh, allows you to put two cameras on it. So you can have like your main camera and then you can mount a smaller camera on top. That's like a wide angle for dual lens coverage. Um, the ultimate wedding shooter. Yeah. So like this is the perfect small little camera to put, you know, on top of another camera, if you just wanted a wide shot, um, yeah, that's just going to be used by YouTubers for camera comparisons. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, then, we were doing that back in the day. I think we stuck we did, yeah. the A sixty four hundred on top of the M fifty, didn't oh, we? Yeah. You had like some weird attachment, and uh, we just went to town shooting that was with the it. Way it was to do it. That was the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with the vertical shooting modes, I mean, obviously, with the growth of um, all this vertical content on YouTube Shorts now. Um, this is really, you know, a perfect little run and gun camera to use for shorts. I don't really want to use an iPhone mm-hmm. when I'm doing maybe like a man on the street style vertical thing because I need some zoom range. If somebody's doing like a hidden camera or I'm interacting with people far away, having a big zoom is good. And the iPhone zoom is just not really high quality. No. And that's where uh, a lens like this comes in handy and really 
competes against an iPhone is once you start zooming in. Uh, iPhones just look terrible zoomed in. Uh, the telephoto lens, even though it's great that it's there, is garbage. And when you zoom in any further than what the actual focal length is, it's just a digital zoom and it just it does not look good. So No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, I think this is this is gonna be a great option. I think vertical options in a camera are so necessary now just based on how things work i mean shoot even the like kind of changing subjects a bit but the dji uh, air 2s that i have which doesn't have a vertical mode uh i've been really considering selling it for the mini 3 because it does have a vertical mode and that would be nice even though it's a downgrade i think it would be an upgrade in versatility yeah yeah exactly so i'm I'm glad that they they've added that and Again, because it's got the newest sensor in there with the autofocus algorithms and whatnot of all the modern Canon cameras, uh, it's in line with all their other stuff. And you know, I think it's top of my list for a beginner YouTuber camera. It's got the mic jack, so you can plug in a, a you know boom mic or whatever. Right. Um, colors but are great. Autofocus is great. Flips. Great. The R10 is still a thing. And I went and checked it out. I mean, it's on sale right now on B&H Photo. So if you care, yeah. um, there it is. A, but um, yeah, that's it's pretty close in price. Is that going to be a camera that you would also potentially recommend for someone who's like, oh, I'm under a thousand dollars. What camera should I buy? You know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I haven't looked super into the R10, but. Uh, based on DP review TVs, <laughs> Chris Nichols made a terrestrial piece. Uh, yeah. Um, his, uh, opinion was the R10 is just a better body. It's got better photography features. It does have a 4k 60 mode with a crop. However, um, it's just a little bit, you know, bigger and more comfortable to hold. I'm, I'm happy for Canon that they're making all these cameras, but Canon, come on, give us more lenses. Give us more yeah. lenses. Okay. How many, how many podcast episodes do we need to make where we demand lenses and they're not giving it to us? Come on. For our after show today, uh, tell us about the poster you saw in, in California, Connor. And we, we had this discussion in the car yesterday mm. about um, about the kind of current state of movies and the movie theater industry. Uh, yeah. yeah what, we we should have just recorded it in the car. We had the podcast already. Um, yeah. So I was when I was in Hollywood um, a couple weeks ago. Um, I saw a billboard for Top Gun Maverick, uh, which is a little weird because that movie is not exactly new, but I guess no one's paid to take it down. So it's probably been up since the movie was getting advertised. And the slogan for it was kind of cheeky. It said, make movies great again. Uh, Obviously, you can tell what that's referencing. But um, yeah, it's just kind of bringing up a a decent point that it and Dave and I were chatting about it in the car. It feels like movies have gotten so much worse lately just in general i mean it's not a blanket true statement there are some good movies that have still come out but just as a whole it doesn't feel like we're just it doesn't feel like we're getting as many good um movie options lately which is making the theaters i'm i'm guessing slowly go out of business because i don't know who's going to see these movies like for example marvel marvel is a great example the newer marvel movies have really been lackluster lately. I, I the last one I saw was Doctor Strange two, and I did not I did not care for it um, at all. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting state of movies. It seems like even 
even like the current Mandalorian series, it's mm-hmm. it out right now. And you and I are huge Star Wars fans, and we neither one of us seem to like care to set aside time to watch it. In fact, I've been watching my my favorite series uh, on Netflix, Formula One: Drive to Survive. Nice, which has nothing to do with a, a franchise like that, and it's just good documentary storytelling done well and um i think i heard a quote from mr beast once about uh, a metric for youtube that you can't really track and that's really like human satisfaction so if you watch a youtube video and at the end you're just like you're satisfied and you're like wow that that made me feel something that made me feel good you know the last mark rober video i don't know if you saw it connor it's fantastic was that the um the one where he went to Africa with the mm-hmm. the drones that was really great yeah um that was like educational but also heartfelt and like you know these people are really making a difference yeah and mark is highlighting that and like that video was really satisfying you know when it's over you you feel something um you know and that dictates, you know, the next video that I watch of Mark Rober's, I'm going to probably watch it because the last time I watched it, I was satisfied. So mm-hmm. that concept, I think, can be applied to to films as well and to franchises. I think right. these big companies like Disney think that, oh, we own Marvel, we own Star Wars. So people are just going to show up and they're just going to go to every movie and they're going to watch every show. Because and that they love may it. have been true in the past because as you said we it's like we were satisfied watching it so it's like we watched i don't know let's just bring up marvel it's like everything more or less everything up to endgame was really great and um the movies were made for audience enjoyment and mm-hmm. they, you could tell they put a lot of time and care into them and then um so yeah i think the first couple marvel movies after that we probably did just go see because everything up to end game was great. And we're like, great. All right. What's this next phase going to be? This is going to be cool. And then after a few, a few movies that have been a little bit lackluster, some of them may have been better than others. I enjoyed the Spider-Man movie that came out. So that was good. Uh, but some have been less great, like uh, the Eternals movie, which um, didn't do very well. Those are starting to leave bad taste in our mouth. So now that new stuff is coming out, we just don't care as much. Yeah. And I think specifically for me with star Wars, I'm, you know, star Wars is definitely my number one, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, franchise, uh, maybe, you know, close to Lord of the Rings, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings is good too. But, um, I, th- I feel like those two are on, on their own tier. Um, they're the, and they're separate. It's just like my two sons. It's like, which one do you love more? It's like, the, I love them both equally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, the George Lucas, you know, Star Wars, even episode one, two, and three, Phantom Menace, uh, you know, for all their faults, for all their faults, there still was like some heart to it and some soul and just good storytelling overall. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know, maybe I'm clouded by nostalgia, but the, the newer trilogy, (laughs) the newer (laughs) trilogy was just not doing it for me. And then, um, the first season of Mandalorian was great. And so we mm-hmm. watched, we all watched season two and it was okay. And then we all watched Boba Fett and that, that was not good. good. And then good. we got so excited to see Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And it was, there were, there were aspects good. of it that were cool to just see him as Obi-Wan again. Mm-hmm. But 
I think overall, I was just like, eh. It didn't really feel like Obi-Wan, though. I think that was the problem. I mean, it was Ewan playing Obi-Wan, so that did feel like Obi-Wan. Yeah. But just his character, like, it, the writers made that show because Obi-Wan is a big name, mm-hmm. not because they had a story to tell. That's how it felt. Yeah. So the character was doing things and things were happening in the world that didn't make sense. Mm-hmm but they needed it to happen so that a story could happen, right? So, you know, it, that's kind of like what you were saying before. It's like Disney has these IPs and they're like, people will see it because it's Star Wars or because it's Ewan or because yeah. it's whatever, um, which is, again, true to an extent because I did watch Obi-Wan. But now that season three of The Mandalorian's out, I like The Mandalorian. It's just, I, yeah, it's just like the last one left a bad taste in my mouth. So I don't feel like I like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the next Star Wars series. It's more like, man, I really hope the next Star Wars series doesn't suck as much as the last one. Yeah, that's uh, more what it's like. There's an article here. The Mandalorian sees a huge drop in viewers for season three. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett debut or the um, sorry, the debut of Star Wars Andor was 50 percent higher than mandalorian but yeah this is even lower than obi-wan it's lower than boba fett's viewership mm-hmm. andor was good that was one that i also put off watching probably because of obi-wan i haven't um, seen that one yet but all this to say you know now let's refer that back to the theater industry obviously covid kind of already shook up an industry that i feel was slowly collapsing because the streaming networks were just getting better and better. And the series Mm -hmm. are, you know, the Obi-Wan series might as well be a movie in terms of production. I mean, storytelling wise, that's all debatable, but like all these big HBO go or HBO max, Netflix Mm -hmm. and Disney plus series are as high production and as expensive as a movie. And it's spread out over nine episodes. So you can really tell a richer story so I feel well, like the story you should be able should to tell a richer <laughs> story should be <laughs> you should be able to yeah. or they just stretch it um but the film in, the film industry we you know we went to go see the Jesus Revolution my wife and I which by the way that film did five times better than they expected now in terms mm. of show uh people uh going to the theater I think it's because there's a reason for people to go. If you're a Christian and you want to support Christian movies, go see this film, you know, Jesus revolution. Um, it, it did so well. Uh, let's see it, it. But then as we were walking in, uh, I noticed there was an Ant-Man movie and I was like, I didn't even know. I didn't even know there was an Ant-Man movie. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and from what I heard, cause I, I haven't seen it in all fairness, but from what I heard, Ant-Man, the new one is just, it's not doing very good. Like not just that it wasn't doing very good. It, it is that it wasn't a good movie. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, the Jesus revolution pulled in a whopping $45 million and that's just in America. And I think the film only costs like $3 million. So that's great for them. That's awesome. The return on that is, is huge. And Christians have, you know, we have a collective reason to go see this film, Mm -hmm. but you know, we were talking about Tom Cruise, how, you know, make movies great again. He's giving us a reason to watch it because Mm -hmm. of the stunts that he's doing. Like it's a spectacle. It's, it's, you're not watching 
a Tom Cruise movie because the story is amazing. Mm-hmm. Although the story of Top Gun Maverick I thought was pretty good. But um, that's not really why you're watching it. You're watching it because he is doing something that supposedly, I mean, maybe YouTubers can give him a run for his money now, but things that only Hollywood can do, right? So he's actually in these jets flying around for Top Gun Maverick. Or in the case of the next Mission Impossible movie that's coming out, he does like this crazy, you can watch on YouTube, you know, he does, they do a whole breakdown of this like motorcycle stunt off of a cliff in Norway, I think. Yeah, it's insane. And it's insane. And you're watching the behind the scenes for that and, it just gets you like, oh, pumped. I'm pumped for this next Mission Impossible movie. I don't even really care that much about the story of Mission Impossible, but I just want to see it because it's going to be larger than life, and I want to see it in the theaters specifically because yeah. my TV screen won't do it justice. And I, I think more uh, thought processes like that in the movie industry could really benefit the whole industry. I mean, same for Avatar. You know, Avatar 2, I never, I actually never saw it, you know, ironically, as we're talking about it, but yeah, I've, actually, heard, me neither. I've heard that, you know, it, it's a spectacle. It's a real spectacle to see. I just think there's, it's such a weird, Avatar is such a weird franchise because I, I haven't met anybody that cares about Avatar. Like no. nobody wears like Avatar shirts and like is a, in the same way that a Star Wars nerd or like a Lord of the Rings nerd, like there's no mm-hmm. Avatar well, Nerds. the thing with Avatar, which was always confusing to me, was at the time when it came out, like I watched it and I was like, that was kind of cool. But I never really thought it was like, wow, this is amazing. I, I didn't feel as like, I guess the CGI was the part that was like, oh, wow, this is amazing CGI. And it was good for the time. But um, the story and the characters is like, I don't know. No one knew that. Like, what's the main character's name? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Um, and I think there was a video on YouTube that was titled like something like no one cares about avatar. And he just went up to people in, I think Santa Monica and he had money and he was like for X amount of dollars, who's the main character of avatar (laughs) and nobody could tell him the name of the character. So now that avatar two was coming out for me and probably for you as well, I just didn't care because CGI is great everywhere now, which is, I think the reason why people went and saw the first one. Not because the story was good, but because it was a spectacle to see the the cool CGI. And um, this one, I just didn't feel like had the same pull because every movie has good CGI now. Yeah. Um, so you, not you as interesting. That. We do say that, but Top Gun Maverick has made $719 million, which is a ton of money. Right. Avatar 2, which has been out for less time than Top Gun Maverick did. You know, it's still in theaters now. It's right. Two, billion. Okay. Well, you know, I could be wrong. Um, (laughs) It stands as the fourth biggest movie in history. It ranks behind only the original Avatar, Avengers Endgame, and Titanic. Wow. Two out of three of those, or uh, three out of four of those are all directed by James Cameron. (laughs) So... Wow, he's the golden child. I I guess... Mr. Beast of of, uh, the film industry. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder. Maybe I. Maybe I'm. Maybe I missed out. Maybe I went. Should have went and saw it. Let me know in the comments. Should I have seen it? Was it like better? Was the CGI mind blowing? Because that's the thing. I'm like, how how good could it be? You know, compared yeah. to something else out there. Well, for, um, yeah. Again, I haven't seen it yet either. But I mean, I've heard it's it, there. There was a, a lot of cutting edge stuff that he's done here. But um, you know, 
again, I, I think in a way, just like Top Gun Maverick gave us all a reason to go to the theaters, I think Avatar 2 also did that. And we're going to mm-hmm. continue to see more and more of that. And that's why Martin Scorsese, who's you know a renowned director and, and uh, auteur, um, is quoted at saying that you know those types of movies aren't they're not movies they're not cinema they're they're roller coaster rides you know and it's like <laughs> i think he uh, meant that right. negatively don't you think yeah yeah he did <laughs> yeah you're talking about marvel movies in particular well that's the thing right now is it, there's really two types of movies that are being made in theaters there's the movies that all are nominated for oscars and win oscars that are artistic and they often have some sort of political angle to it or some sort of reason behind it with fancy actors and fancy writers and fancy directors. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just for filmmakers almost. Yeah. They're (laughs) made to win Oscars. Yeah. They're not necessarily made to be enjoyable. And then you have avatar two that makes over $2 billion. (laughs) That's, that's the difference. Um, I guess I should go see that movie. I wonder if you can still see it. Maybe, maybe we should go see it, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Do what do you got going on? So, so check this out. So the whale, you know, that movie, it was like nominated yeah. for a bunch of Oscars and he, the, the guy won best yeah. actor. That movie only made $10 million and the Jesus revolution made $15 million opening weekend. So again, for context, everything everywhere all at once, which was nominated and won almost everything this year at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It grossed a total of 113 million, which is nothing to scoff at for a low budget film like that. Yeah. But just to put that into context, I mean, you know, over two, 2.2 billion dollars for Avatar. I mean, it's just like it's such a difference. And Avatar, I think it won. It did win best, you know, effect, visual effect, as it, as it should. And then Top Gun won for best sound. But like they don't give the Oscars isn't based on which which movie did more people go see and more people right. enjoy. Well, I think which sorry. one is the most artistic? Yeah, yeah I mean, because again, bringing up it was either Infinity War or Endgame. One of those got best visual effects. But it's like, dude, that movie was the biggest movie pretty much of all time. I think it may be of all time. I'm not really sure. Well, and it didn't win best picture. It's like, how's that even? possible it's second to avatar <laughs> okay yeah it's like how's that even possible how, how did it not win um something I, I, something like something more than just visual effects right you would think yeah. it would it would get something more than that and, and sure enough it didn't i think lord of the rings did win best picture in 2002 so that was was that was 2002 was that the fellowship of the ring so like i feel like in a way that was the last time that a big hollywood blockbuster type film actually was recognized at the oscars at one best mm-hmm. picture you don't see that anymore like avengers endgame winning best picture although would fellowship of the ring be considered like i know it was a blockbuster but it was also kind of like a n- new thing based off of a book oh, the return of the king sorry won all oh, okay. 11 awards it was nominated for including best director best picture that's crazy well i take it back yeah no that's awesome return of the king yeah I, maybe in a way that was their that was like hollywood's nod like they waited until all three came out and they were like you know what you guys 
you got Peter Jackson and the whole crew that made this. We have to acknowledge all three of these movies. You know, we'll wait till Return of the King comes out, but we're just going to let them sweep the floor because nothing like this has ever been done before where they shot all three in a three year period. They pushed the boundaries of special effects. They adapted and practical effects. Dude. Practical they did some effects. amazing practical that's effects that, in that movie. That's why those old movies hold up so beautifully. We rewatched all of them when the Lord of the Rings show came out. Mm-hmm. Dude, those movies hold up so well because and, there's so many practical effects. And, and I think that's why the Hobbit didn't do. I mean, there's a few reasons why the Hobbit didn't do very well. One of them being that they, for money, split yeah. it into three movies. That <laughs> should have never happened. But also because like, everything that you were seeing was all visual effects, which there were lots of visual effects in the originals as well. But I feel like they lost a lot of, they did some practical stuff in the Hobbit too. I guess I'm maybe being a little too harsh, but they just didn't do it as much. I think. And I think it lost some of its charm is what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, I feel like a movie like Lord of the Rings would, the, that, that trilogy, I don't, I feel like, if if it had never been adapted and we had to wait until now for somebody to do it, it would not be as good as it is now. I agree. I think it came out in the golden timeline for that specific film. It's like yeah. if it came out before, it probably would have been pretty cheesy, pretty campy. And if it came out after, it would just be also, highly yeah. processed. Yeah, like The Hobbit. and Like The Hobbit. And the new Lord of the Rings show, which was okay yeah it was okay so yeah it was what do you okay. guys think it, should we make movies great again yeah i'm not making a movie are we making movies <laughs> making a hundred of them all right so if again if you guys are still listening you are a trooper thank you for being here yeah we appreciate you guys make sure to subscribe down below be on the lookout for all of our podcasts on the youtube channel as well mm-hmm. as whatever podcast player you listen to Please leave a rating or review in Spotify or Apple Podcast and use those chapters. I work hard on those chapters to include we we work hard because now we're splitting the editing. Right. You're going to mm-hmm. edit this one, right, Connor? I guess so. I got three edits to do now this week <laughs> before I go off to an event in San Diego in six days. Good wow. Stuff. I can't believe it's coming up so quick. It's coming up like a freight train. I got a lot to do. Sweet. Well. Again, I've been your host, David Altizer. And Connor McCaskill. And we'll see you next week. See you guys.